You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So that was a weird experience. I put my headphones on. It's still tripping me out. I got to switch these around. I put them on backwards. I didn't really realize it. And I'm like, why does a song sound different? You should, you should try that. If you've been a long-time listener and you get like headphones in, switch them. Try to switch them for a minute. See if it sounds different. I don't know. That was weird. Anyways, happy uh, Friday, I think. Yep, Friday. Pretty glorious. Um, we obviously don't have an upcoming opponent, which is fantastic. I do want to continue what we started a couple days ago, looking at some of the other teams kind of getting caught up to speed. We've kind of been doing that a little bit along the way, but... Uh, we did it with the Chicago Bears, I think, on Wednesday, and uh, I want to keep doing that. But I got to start off with this. Um, it's another one of those things I really don't want to have to do, but it seems to be a big thing, and everybody seems to want to have an opinion on it, and so um, I guess I have to talk about it. Also, somebody messaged me on Patreon and asked me the question, so um, we're going to talk about it. I mean, <laughs> I was on Twitter and I saw somebody, and that was like my reminder. Speaking of reminders, I got to announce a winner, which hopefully I should have done that yesterday. My bad. Let me just get this out first, and then I'll forget about the winner. <laughs> but I had somebody on Patreon uh, reach out and ask me, and I, I went on Twitter just a minute ago and I saw somebody post about it, and I just pulled it up now. And the very top thing again is about this topic. The tweet in this case says, a lot of you are showing how stupid you are if you think what Antonio Brown did and what Aaron Rodgers did are the same. That's pretty much been the sentiment that I've been seeing a lot, at least from Packers Twitter. So I'm glad most of Packers Twitter is kind of on board with this. And I know this. a lot of this is like anti-Florio stuff, but there is some level of confusion, seemingly, even among some Packer fans and non-Packer fans, thinking that there's something here and there just is not. So I'm annoyed that people are trying to make something out of this. But let me just get to the question I got from Ben, because then I can kind of launch into it. Ben says, what is the difference between Aaron Rodgers' situation with COVID compared to AB's and others where they got suspended? So, again, this this is sort of the sentiment. So the backstory here, apparently, Antonio Brown and maybe some other people um, were suspended for... And let me just overly generalize it so that we can kind of try to see where people are coming from for lying about their COVID status. Well, wait a minute. Aaron Rodgers lied about his COVID status. Why isn't he suspended? That's that's his, that's that's the best I can do in terms of trying to make it seem like something because as soon as you think to the next level, you kind of understand a couple things. First of all, 
what Antonio Brown did was fake uh, a COVID card, which is extremely easy to do. I, I, I don't even know where mine is, but I, I have one. And it's just a card and just stuff is written on it. There's, there's nothing really official about it. Could easily grab one of the cards, which would be pretty easy to make and just write stuff on it. But um, that's what he did, which apparently, as some people have pointed out, I don't know if this is true. I don't like to give uh, legal things on here because most people that pretend to know the law are wrong and stupid. But um, according to some people, it is a federal offense to do that. Now, even aside from that, that doesn't matter. It's not because he broke a law that he's getting suspended. What Aaron Rodgers did and what Antonio Brown did are not the same thing. And anybody that thinks it's the same thing are either a little bit confused or are self-important media D-bags like Mike Florio. And, and Mike Florio doesn't, it, he, he shouldn't even be on this list because he's just trying to find reasons to attack Aaron Rodgers 24-7. But there are people, especially in Packers media, that are very self-important kind of people that, um, that kind of think this way. Here's the rule, and you tell me who broke the rule and who didn't. If you're not vaccinated, you have to tell the team and the league so that they know and can have you follow proper protocols as an unvaccinated player. Who followed the rule and who broke the rule? Aaron Rodgers informed the team as well as the league and has been following protocols this entire time. He was fined because he didn't wear a mask at press conferences. And to be honest, he shouldn't have even been fined, nor should the Packers. You know why? Because I don't think a single unvaccinated person has worn a mask at a press conference. Not one that I'm aware of. The only reason they're coming down hard on Aaron Rodgers, number one, because this became a spectacle and a lot of media people started throwing a fit about it. And number two, he came out with very anti-NFL in terms of their policies and everything else. And I think they felt the need to come down on him and the Green Bay Packers in particular. Antonio Brown told the NFL and the league, that he was vaccinated. So he was unvaccinated, but was, but was treated as a vaccinated player, which means he was not following testing protocols. He was not following masking protocols. He was not following any of the protocols. And regardless of what you think of those protocols, the point is, that's why he was suspended. He didn't follow the rules. Aaron Rodgers did follow the rules. Aaron Rodgers was never punished for lying about the, the, the getting the shot. Everybody's so hung up on the lying. The lying doesn't matter. It doesn't matter unless you feel you're entitled to that information. And I'm sorry to tell you, you're not. And again, I don't believe most people are mad about lying. I think they're mad that he's unvaccinated or are using the lying as an excuse to get mad at him. But I'm sorry, there's no punishment for lying. That's all people do in press conferences is lie. They go up to the podium and they tell us things that aren't true. And you know that. And, and you don't get that mad about it. We call it cute names like coach speak. It's lying. And the whole he put people in danger thing is a lie. That's absolutely not true, and you know it. He didn't put anybody in danger. He didn't have COVID. How do we know? Because he was tested every single day, and he didn't come in contact with anybody until he had a negative test. And as soon as he had a positive test, they informed him he had a positive test, and he had to go home and not be in contact with anybody. And that's even leaving aside the part where, number one, he did think he was immunized, he was trying to get the NFL to accept what he has done as a, a form of vaccination, a form of immunization, because he genuinely believed what he did was good enough. But even leaving all that aside, and assuming he was trying to be somewhat deceitful, which he probably was, why? Well, look at what happened as soon as they found out he was unvaccinated. 
everybody tried to ruin him. Maybe he wanted to avoid that. I don't know, just a thought. And since there's no rule that says you have to... He's not under oath in court, which is exactly how people feel when they ask people, are they vaccinated? When you ask a football player, point blank, are you vaccinated? They feel as though they have the authority to demand a correct answer. You don't have any authority. I'm so sorry to tell you, princess. You do not have a right to that information. It's none of your business. Mind your own business. Go about your life. Relax. Good Lord. And, that, and, and that's the funniest part about this whole Twitter thing, is people really feel like he should have been punished for that. Why? He didn't break a single rule. That's not breaking one rule on the books. Must disclose to the media and your fans your vaccination status was never a rule. And the fact that you think it's a rule and or should be a rule is kind of crazy. I'm not going to lie. It's a little crazy. That would be like if I was unvaccinated and my work's like, you can do it, but you got to tell us so we can put it in our little book and then you got to do certain things. Oh, okay. And then I go hang out with my friends and they're like, hey, dude, you, uh, you get the old jabber? And I'm like, uh, yeah, dude. No big deal. Don't worry about it. And then they later find out that I didn't. Now, that wasn't very nice. But if my friends then try to call my job and get me fired, my friends are D-bags. And we're not going to be hanging out anymore. And by the way, I'm not going to be fired because my work does not care. Just like the NFL doesn't care that he lied to you. The NFL doesn't care that he lied to Rob Domofsky. Nobody cares. Well, some people care, but they shouldn't. That's the difference. Why didn't he get suspended? Because he didn't break the rules. They're entirely different things. And it's only people that can't think beyond he lied. But he lied. I'm sorry, is the rule you get fired for or suspended for lying? Is that a rule in the NFL? If you lie, you get fired? Is this the Puritan NFL? The PNFL? Do you also get suspended for taking the Lord's name in vain or what? No, I think, I think you have to disclose your status to the team and the league is the rule. And I think Aaron Rodgers did that. So we're going to move on from this issue. I mean, I just, again, it, it, this should never have been brought up. And the reason I keep mentioning Florio, I didn't read his article, but he had tweeted the title of the article, essentially, which was, Antonio Brown got fired for lying to the team and, um, and the league. Aaron Rodgers just lied to everyone else, which clearly is implying that what Rodgers did is worse, but it's not. It's not worse, because he doesn't have any obligation to tell anyone. Just because the quantity of people which it's, it's not even, I mean, Antonio Brown did lie to everybody else also, so it's, it's not even quantity being more. But it feels like a bigger, like you, you lied, you told the truth to two people, which isn't true because there's thousands of people in, in the league and the teams. But then there's billions of people on earth that you deceived. That would be like saying, yeah, you, you bought your kids coats and that's great. What about the millions of other children who don't have coats? Wow, you're cool. You bought three coats for your kids. You just let millions of others go cold. What are you What are you talking about? I'm doing what I need to do as a parent and take care of my kids and buy them coats. Why, why are you acting like I'm doing a bad thing? It would be like if I contracted COVID and I called my boss and I'm like, dude, I got COVID, I can't come in. And then when I come back to work the next week or whatever, all the other departments in the hospital are mad. Oh, excuse me, did you call cardiology and tell them? No. Did you call radiology? How about oncology? Did you call rehab? How about the lab? Research? Oh, you didn't call any. You didn't feel the need to tell all of them, huh? Oh, that's interesting. 
So you told one person and not everybody in the hospital. Wow. So you only lie to everyone in the hospital. No, dude, I, I just I just told my boss because he's the only one that needs to know. What are you talking about? Did you tell the patients? Oh, I guess you don't care about the patients in the hospital. <laughs> Good Lord. Insufferable. Insufferable. Go away. Get away from me. Freak. It's amazing. I just, there's certain, again, there's certain things that people just can't let go of. They can't let go. Since Aaron Rodgers, that whole debacle, probably 50, 60, 70 billion things have happened that are more significant, and we still can't let it go. Right? We still can't let it. And now Antonio Brown does apparently the worst thing in the history of the world, and it's, it's barely a blip. We don't even want to talk about it. But Aaron Rodgers, he, well, yeah, but, yeah, but he lied. So did Antonio Brown. Yeah, well, Rod, Rodgers lied. I hate him. <laughs> have you even seen people on Twitter? Yeah, well, I expect more of, of Aaron Rodgers than Antonio Brown. Oh, okay. So Antonio Brown is like an animal then. You don't really, like if he bites somebody, it's like, yeah, but it's a dog. You don't hold dogs to the same standard. Aaron Rodgers is a fully fledged human being who's capable of making good decisions. Antonio Brown is, is like an animal. Oh, okay. I got it. So anyways, a- as usual, this is, this is probably one of the cases where 99% of the people listening fully understand what I'm saying, so I don't need to elaborate too much more. But again, it seems to be a really big thing on Twitter right now for some reason. And so um, let's be done with this, okay? Let's be done with it. Everybody's okay. Everybody's fine. Nobody's hurt. Everybody survived. Everybody's doing great. Just playing football, right? Aaron Rodgers' toe injury is more severe than his COVID sickness was. Okay, so we can calm down. Everybody's fine. Fortunately, and I was just about to get mad because I, once again found somebody here. Um, okay, this isn't the real guy. I was like, is this seriously like a big blue check? No, it's 77 followers. But he says, how is this different than Aaron Rodgers? But fortunately, I'm reading the comments and i am I'm got some renewed um, confidence. I don't see one person that agrees with him so far. Most people just mad that he spelled Rodgers wrong. Uh, you can't be serious. You effing kidding me, right? A lot of people explaining it. I'm trying to find one person. So sounds like everybody kind of understands it. So I think we'll, I think we'll move on. Oh, see, and I did almost forget about the winner thing. See, that's the problem with, I got Jacob who's like, so when are you doing the podcast, I'll send you a reminder. It's like, dude, if you don't send me a reminder as I'm sitting down in front of my computer, like just starting, I'm going to forget. Like if you send it to me at six and I do the podcast at seven, which I ended up doing it the next morning, no way. It's been like five minutes since I mentioned that I need to announce this. I already just forgot, but I remembered again, so... Now I just got to figure out where he told me. There it is. All right. The winner on Instagram of the Desmond Howard Super Bowl trophy is none other than Mark Musgrave III, a.k.a. Marky. So, uh, Mark, if you're listening, do me a big favor. Jump on Instagram. Send me a DM, Packernet Podcast, on Instagram. Let me know that you heard it and that you won and that you're excited Shoot over your address, and we'll get that sent over to you ASAP. All right. Anyways, um, kind of made fun of the Saints yesterday for um, being garbage, and um, we're probably going to have some more material coming up. Unfortunately, no material for the Dallas Cowboys because they beat the Saints, and I'm sure they think that this basically means they're going to win the Super Bowl again. Um, so kudos to them. It is kind of 
it is kind of funny because you get to know these people that you're making fun of, and there's a part of me that kind of feels bad for them, and so I'm envisioning them having better days, and that's that's kind of nice. But um, Mr. Taysom Hill, as the Saints continue to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback, completed 19 of 41 passes for 264 yards, two touchdowns, and four interceptions. So I don't think they found him yet. Um, apparently they paid Taysom Hill a ton of money, but it... it more than doubles if he ends up being the starting quarterback. Um, he might have just lost himself tens of millions of dollars uh, yesterday. But he's still he's still making a lot of money for a guy that's been a career backup that's never really proven to be a uh, starter caliber. The Saints just love the guy, and um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe someday. I don't know. But um, be on the lookout for some more Saints content. By the way, and, and this is another way to do this, what would make the best laughing at the enemy segment. As far as this week coming up, we got Minnesota-Detroit, which again, very unlikely Detroit wins. But if if Minnesota wins, at least you hope it's kind of similar to how the Bears won so that we can squeeze out maybe some Vikings content in which they're really upset that it was a pathetic win. Uh, Because if it's a blowout, you know, Detroit fans just kind of don't care anymore. But man, if Detroit could win that game, do you have any idea how great that that episode is going to be? We might just have to do a full-day Viking special. Maybe I'll see if one bar wants to come on the show and, <laughs> and give me a personalized uh, message. We got Chicago, Arizona, which is glorious because there is almost zero chance Chicago wins that game. Um, if they do, we could probably get some Cardinals content, which wouldn't be the worst thing. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm rooting for the Bears to win. But as far as my, um, as far as laughing at the enemy goes, that's, you know, it's a win-win. Tampa, Atlanta, definitely rooting for Atlanta there. L.A., Jacksonville. You know, the, the good thing about that is kind of like what I had played on the episode yesterday. L.A. is kind of in a position where if they lose, feels real bad. If they win, still doesn't feel great. So if this is even a little bit close, we might be able to scrape together some Rams content. Um, Pittsburgh, Baltimore is actually kind of interesting because I'm, I'm also, I'm just looking at contenders and I'm trying to, trying to get a sense for teams that are kind of contenders. If they lose to Pittsburgh, I'm probably going to dig up some Baltimore content because, you know, it really comes down to who are our, who is our competition. Arizona would be one, who we'd be. Tampa would be another one. Baltimore, ultimately, if you're talking about, you know, if you're going to win a Super Bowl, who's going to win the Super Bowl this year? Um, San Francisco, Seattle is gold either way. I am rooting for Seattle in that game because for San Francisco to lose to a 3-8 and eight team that is in your division would be glorious. Chiefs Denver, I'm absolutely rooting for Denver. Um, not that I couldn't go get some Denver content, but I probably won't because, I mean, they're they're six and five. They would fall to six and six if they lose. They're an AFC team. They're not a Super Bowl contender. But Kansas City, I'll make fun of Kansas City all day long. And then Buffalo and New, New England is awesome because I want both of those teams to lose really badly. And I think I'm rooting for Buffalo in that game because New England is just white hot right now. And Buffalo does this thing where either they lose in spectacular fashion or they win in spectacular fashion. They're kind of like the Eagles in that way, where they're either, they either win 41-3 or they lose just horrifically. I don't know if they've lost that bad, but they, they lose badly. So if they could just, you know, pull out like a 38-13 win over the, over the Patriots, that would make me feel really glorious. But either way, these are two really impressive teams that uh, one of them has to lose, and we're going to take some time to enjoy that. And last time the Bills lost, and I <laughs> I did a Bills segment. That was everybody's favorite. Oh, by the way, I just listened to the episode, and I don't know how I missed 
like the first three or four swears in the episode. I guess I, I don't know. I have no idea how I missed it. But um, my apologies to any of the children that uh, may have heard that. I've done almost 1,300 episodes and have avoided that. And uh, it's a big my bad. I'm not going to republish it. But if you haven't listened yet, just know that that's a thing. But as far as, I mean, leaving aside the show, as far as as where we sit um, and who we should be rooting for, the Green Bay Packers right now are sitting at 9-3. After this week, they're going to continue to be 9-3. The Arizona Cardinals are the only team with nine wins that can pass the Green Bay Packers, which is a problem. I know we beat them, but I mean, if you have the best record in the NFC, you get that number one seed. So we can't... We can't catch them until they lose. So that is one of the biggest ones, especially since we beat them in a tiebreaker. So we have to be able to catch up to Arizona. So as much as I'm okay with them, especially considering, you know, there's several more games. If this is the last game that I would be a massive Bears fan, I'm okay with them beating the hapless Chicago Bears and then moving on and losing later. For example, they got the Rams coming up. There's some potential there. Then Detroit, that stinks. Colts, maybe. Dallas is a big one. Seattle, probably not. So we're kind of leaning pretty heavy on the Rams and the Cowboys. Unfortunately, these are two teams we really don't want to win either. Um, Dallas Cowboys are sitting at 8-4. and four. Rams are sitting at 7-4. and four. But again, one of the things that I've mentioned several times now is winning is always the default. So anytime you can get these head-to-heads, is all, all, although it stinks because somebody has to win, winning is the default. So losing is sort of the... Uh, the rarity among teams that rarely lose. So when you can guarantee a team will lose, you should take it. And we've got two big games here just from these two teams um, with the the Rams, Cardinals, and Cowboys, Cardinal. And even if the, the well, we don't want them to go undefeated because they're probably not going to lose to any of the other teams. But if they do, that means the Cowboys and the Rams lose. So the Packers will probably coast right past them. And um, if you can't get the number one seed. I will happily take a number two because you still get home field advantage until you go to Arizona, assuming Arizona made it that far. Arizona still has to win one game at home. Um, and then, you know, ultimately we go to Arizona and play a team that we already beat, hopefully a lot healthier than we were last time. We come in with a similar game plan where you play fast, we play physical, and we'll see how that works out for you. Other teams, at least NFC, that are somewhat in contention here, obviously Tampa Bay, um, the thing I've mentioned about Tampa Bay before that really upsets me is they've got such an easy schedule. It's really annoying. I mean, it's nice because you look at it and say they can't beat good teams. I mean, they just they can't really do it. Kind of talked about it before, but um, their biggest win was probably week one against Dallas, which again, kind of a throwaway thing, but whatever. They beat Atlanta. They beat uh, the Patriots before they kind of got hot. They beat Miami, Philadelphia, Chicago, the Giants, and the Colts. And the, unless we count week one, the Colts are probably the most impressive win. They won 38-31, to 31, which obviously is not very impressive for your uh, defense. They do have the number one offense in football, so obviously they're scoring a lot of points. But again, it's against really bad teams. Still impressive. I mean, you're not number one for nothing, but it's annoying because you want them to play better teams. They do have the Bills coming up. Otherwise, they have the Falcons, the Saints, the Panthers, the Jets, and the Panthers. These are garbage football teams. Absolute garbage. So I would say they maybe, maybe lose one more game. So um, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 4 is very possibly going to be their record, which is pretty staggering. But I just don't know how in the world, I mean... Obviously, there's flukes in here. I mean, they did lose to the Saints once before. I can't imagine it happens again, but but maybe. Um, 
Panthers, there's just no way. Christian McCaffrey's done for the year. Um, maybe a flukish Falcons thing is about the only thing I can think because there's no way the Jets are about to lose, uh, especially Tom Brady. He's played the Jets five billion times in his career. So, I mean, it's it's a super big long shot, but the only one I could see that's upsettable would be this game. But again, the odds are, are basically zero. So um, the Packers are going to have a real hard time keeping pace and staying in front of um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And as much as it's like, well, it's it's unfair and unrealistic to say you need to be winless. They don't need to be winless. They're going to have a great record. Um, even if they drop two, they're going to have another 13-win season. Actually, that's not true. If they drop one, I forgot the bye week is included in that. Um, but I don't know if that's going to be good enough to stay in front of some of these other teams. And for Green Bay, Baltimore, the Cleveland Browns, and Minnesota are all semi-scary teams. Not as good as the Packers, but certainly teams that have enough talent where you need to somewhat be concerned. Uh, the Rams, although we feel like they're kind of cooked, um, they are still 7-4. and four. As far as very winnable games, they got the Jaguars should be 8-4. and four. Uh, Seattle would be 9 wins. Minnesota's potentially 10 wins. The Ravens and the 49ers uh, could be 12, so they could end with 12 wins. I don't think they're going to beat Arizona in Arizona. Um, it's also fairly unlikely that they win out on their last three against Minnesota, Baltimore, and the 49ers. Um, so I, I'm thinking they're probably going to be, at best, 11 wins, but dropping three in a row, including to San Francisco, um, who you lost 10-31, to 31, I don't know. But, you know, they're, they're here, they're nipping at our heels, they're probably going to be in the playoffs, so they're worth at least keeping an eye on to see how they're progressing. It's kind of a team where I don't feel super worried about um, their competition in the winning the NFC. I am concerned about them becoming a good team. So the three-game slide is important, but there's still a lot of time to get right. Uh, San Francisco, not really. I mean, they're at 6-5. and five. Um, they're kind of in the same boat as LA. They're not going to catch us, but it is worth keeping an eye on them. They have won three in a row. Uh, they won four out of their last five. Granted, none of them are super impressive. Um, they beat Chicago, who obviously is terrible. They got spanked by the Cardinals. They beat the Rams, which was impressive until we realized the Rams are just not very good. They beat Jacksonville because they're Jacksonville, and they beat the Vikings by eight. So, I mean, it's 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 three wins, and they'll probably have four against Seattle, five against Cincinnati, six against the Falcons. So, yeah, they're 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 probably going to have another three in a row. Uh, then they got Tennessee, the Texans, and so yeah, they're they're probably going to win most of their next several. And again, it's not that I think that they can catch us, but it is a matter of how impressive are these wins going to be. And what I'm hoping for is they drop a game that they just shouldn't. And and they got a bunch of games on the road. I mean, they got a real rough stretch here. They were away at Jacksonville, then home. Then they're away in Seattle. Then they have to go to Cincinnati, home for the Falcons, away to Tennessee, home for Houston, and then have to go to L.A. Obviously, is not very far, but whatever. Uh, Seattle obviously is cooked. And so that really just leaves Dallas. So it looks like, realistically, the competition in the NFC for the NFC is Arizona, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, and Dallas. Dallas is sitting at 8-4. Uh, they'll probably have 9 wins against Washington, 10 against the Giants, 11 against Washington. Everybody's playing Arizona. 
and then potentially 12 against the Eagles. And and these aren't guarantees. I mean, they could drop one to Washington, um, certainly could lose to Arizona, and they potentially could lose to Philadelphia if Philadelphia is having a really hot game. Obviously, Dallas is not, um, you know, the dynamo we once thought they were, having lost to the Raiders and the Chiefs, who are not exactly what they were, and the Broncos. Um, so we'll see. I'm, I'm feeling fairly good about Dallas. It really, uh, I, I might be most nervous about Tampa, which really stinks because obviously Tampa was a problem for us last year, and I don't know that I want to face them again. It's a completely different team, but still there's a weird stigma, especially Tampa in Tampa. There's going to be the whole narrative about Rodgers can't play in Florida, which I don't necessarily think is true, but it's going to be brought up again, and we can't win this game, and it's going to start seeping into the heads of not just the fans, but the locker room. And and again, it's, it's, it's really just because they're not the team, especially with Brady, that's going to lose to bad teams, and they mostly just have bad teams coming up. So um, the, the biggest thing the Packers need to do is just win. I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, I think they do hold their own destiny in their hands. Um, as far how does a tiebreaker work? I got to figure this out. So obviously the division champion with the best record, but we're saying that Tampa and Green Bay are tied. Let's say they both went out or whatever. So uh, win percentage would be the same. Then it's win-loss tied percentage in games played within the division. So NFC win-loss record. The Packers lost to the Saints and the Vikings. Tampa has lost to the Rams, to the Saints, and Washington. So all three of their losses have been NFC. So as of right now, if the teams win out, Green Bay should have the tiebreaker in their favor. Actually, they've got a... Uh, let me let me see if I can find it. We're getting to the end of the season. <sighs> Feels so good that we're using this again. I So when we get toward the end of the season, ESPN has this playoff machine, and it's so much fun to play with. But let's play with it a little bit. Let's just say that all these teams just continue to win out. And obviously, we're going to have to have some conflicts, but let's, let's, let's run this out. Dallas wins. Tampa wins. Uh, Arizona wins. Let's just do this week. Uh, we'll do Chargers, Vikings... Trying to pick the most unflattering wins, so a lot of the NFC teams, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so as it sits right now, Arizona obviously has the number one seed because they have the best record, right? They, again, they're, they're just ahead of us. We do have the number two seed. Uh, the way that this is laid out, we would be playing Washington as the seventh seed. I had Washington winning the game. If they lose the game, then it would be Minnesota. That sucks. Um, <laughs> I don't want that. And that, that's the other thing we got to watch is as of right now, um, I have Minnesota winning, but also Washington winning. Minnesota is eliminated from the playoffs. Now, obviously, they're not officially eliminated, but as of right now, they're not in. Um, then it would be San Francisco going to Tampa and LA going to Dallas. So after week 14, if I just pick everyone that's probably the favorites, it is now um, because Washington lost to Dallas and Minnesota probably beats the Steelers. That puts Arizona number one. We're still number two, but Minnesota is the seventh seed. They have to come to Lambeau. Uh, L.A. goes to Tampa. San Francisco goes to Dallas. However, this is the first time in which we have a conflict between L.A. and the Cardinals. If Los Angeles wins, you now have Green Bay as the number one seed. You have Minnesota going to Tampa, which is a win-win. If Minnesota wins, then Tampa is eliminated and Minnesota has to come to Green Bay. If Tampa wins, then either L.A. or San Francisco comes to Green Bay. I feel good about either of those. And then um, 
the next lowest seed would go to Tampa, et cetera, et cetera. And again, the biggest benefit being we get home field advantage no matter what. So even if Tampa wins out, they win all these games, um, they would have to come to Green Bay. But let's say Arizona wins that game. But uh, listen, next week, week 14, this is a massive game, LA and the Cardinals, as well as all of our games. Because if we lose to the Bears or lose to any of these teams, we're in, we're in trouble. But that's a big one. We need to beat Chicago, and we're rooting big time for LA to win. But let's just assume Arizona wins that game. We'll move on to week 15. And then basically nothing changed because everybody pretty much kept winning. So we got the same teams. Uh, I have Washington losing again to the Eagles. So they're pretty well falling out at this point. Uh, Minnesota wins again because they're playing the Bears. So they're up to eight and six. We're at 11 and three. Um, Tampa Bay is also at 11 and three and Dallas is at 10 and four. So we got a couple guys nipping at our heels and Arizona is still one game ahead of us. Arizona played the Lions. So there's no way they lose that game. So week 16, I actually have San Francisco losing to Tennessee. And that doesn't really do anything except switch seeds. So now um, L.A. and San Francisco switch fifth and sixth, but they're both still in the playoffs. Um, Arizona wins. Green Bay wins. Tampa wins over Carolina. Um, I've got L.A. beating the Vikings, and surprisingly, that didn't do anything. Uh, Minnesota stays the seventh seed. L.A., because they're now the fifth seed, stay the fifth seed. They can't go higher because Arizona's the number one seed, and they're not going to go lower because they have a 10-5 and five record. I'll have Chicago beat Seattle just because, and it doesn't affect anything, but whatever. So again, I ran through all this. We've got a bunch of more wins and losses, and the only thing that changed is LA becomes a fifth, San Francisco becomes a sixth, um, and that's even with Minnesota losing. But again, um, they're at eight and seven. They're still the seventh seed because I guess they're the third strongest second team in the division or something. I don't know. So this is the next biggest one um, because you've got Dallas and Arizona. Um if let's have Dallas win, that still doesn't change anything because they go to 12 and four. Who's Tampa playing? They're playing the Jets, so they're not going to lose. So they're going to go to 13 and three. They take the spot from Arizona because Arizona lost. So Tampa becomes that top spot until Green Bay wins. If Green Bay beats Minnesota, they go back to being the number one seed. If the Packers lose, we fall to the fourth seed. Just by losing that one game, because we're 12 and 4, Tampa's 13 wins, Arizona's 13 wins, Dallas is 12 wins, but apparently they win a tiebreaker because we just lost to Minnesota. So that is a, so again, we, we can win out, but a simple loss to Minnesota here is brutal, which is why, again, we need to be rooting very much against Tampa, Arizona, Dallas, and some of these other teams as well, because little things like this are going to kill us. But if we go back to week 13, right? So right now we're the fourth seed as I'm looking at this. Um, If Dallas falls to the Saints, going back to week 13, no, my thing's not working. Oh, I can't switch it because that game's over. (laughs) Dallas can't lose to the Saints. Um, If Tampa loses to the Falcons, right? They drop to the fourth seed, right? And we're the third seed. So that, it seems like a small thing and we're not even thinking about the playoffs and it's a fluke and they're still a good team. And that is massive, especially since it's a divisional opponent. It's an NFC team. It's huge. It's absolute. So these are massive games. All right, Dallas won. That stinks. Um, if Again, if the Bears win, if Chicago wins, um, Dallas is the number one seed at 12 and four over Green Bay. So Dallas is actually pretty big competition because they've got us beaten a tiebreaker right now. So we have to have a better record than Dallas. 
The other two teams, Arizona, obviously because of head-to-head, as well as Tampa because of, uh, you know, divisional record, we have them beating a tiebreaker. Dallas, we don't. So we have to be better than Dallas. But again, these are so massive. I'm going to switch them back here. It's also massive for us winning, which kind of goes back to, you know, don't freak out because it's just one week or don't freak, you know. But at the same time, when you get down to it, you start looking back at those going, why did you have to lose? Why couldn't you make a field goal? But anyways, we'll go back to week 17 and say that we beat Minnesota in Green Bay, which I think we will. We usually don't lose two in a row to the Vikings. We'll drop one, but not two. And then, uh, let's see, week 17, Vikings over Bears. Washington over the Giants, but that doesn't matter. They're too far out of it. Dallas over the Eagles. Packers fortunately end the season with the Lions, so you kind of get a gimme at the end of the year. I hate to call it that, but I mean, there is no bigger gimme than that. Then you get San Francisco and L.A., so that's one of those where somebody has to win. Um, and the only consequence of that is who gets the fifth and who gets the sixth seed. So that really doesn't matter all that much, at least the way we've done the simulation, uh, which is mostly just having everybody win out. So those are the two biggest takeaways after doing this. Number one, we have to catch Arizona. So we, we really need to start rooting against Arizona. Massive Bears fans this week. I know some of you can't do it. Try to dig deep and find a way to do it. Um, because it has it has very big implications. They have to lose a game, and we beat them in a tiebreaker. The other thing is we can't let Dallas catch us. If Dallas catches us, um, we're in a lot of trouble. Now, at the end of the simulation, I have Dallas at 12-5. and five. Now, if we go back and we say, yeah, but what if Dallas wins out? Well, in order for them to win out for number one, they'd have to beat the Cardinals, which is great news. So let's switch that one right now in week 17. If that happens, the Packers have the number one seed. However, oh, that's it. That's it. So we're... So we're still a game ahead of them, but that's just because we won out. So, uh, you know, it's it's basically in our hands if we win out. The only the only reason we wouldn't is if Arizona wins out also. But yeah, again, th- those are the two takeaways. Catch Arizona. Arizona needs to drop one, and we got to stay ahead of Dallas. So, anyways, before we take a break here, I didn't realize how long we've been going. I want to give you some relative good news, although I feel like he's done this a couple times already, but... Apparently, this is by uh, uh, Matt Schneidman seven hours ago, or anybody that follows Zedarius on Instagram. Um, Zedarius posted a post on Instagram. It's him giving sort of a devilish smile with a caption that says, it's about that time. So Zedarius seems to think he'll be back soon. There's been a lot of speculation that after the bye, we're going to be getting some guys back. Obviously, hoping Zadarius and Jair uh, are a couple of them. Bakhtiari is is not going to be one of them, I don't believe. I think, um, I guess I shouldn't say that. I think maybe at the earliest it could be after the bye, but probably going to be a little bit later. But either way, if we could just get one of these guys back, if we could get Zadarius or Jair, that would be super awesome. And again, he's he's teasing it as though he knows something. So I don't know. We'll see. Really, really, really want the guy back. Even if he comes back a little bit rusty, that's fine because we got the Bears, right? And I think we can handle the Bears. So by the time we start getting into the swing of things and we really need Zadarius to come back and play his old team, the Ravens and whatnot, um, that's when we need him to be back to full speed or at least 75% speed, which is still pretty solid. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a little bit of a break? If you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is the best way that you can do that. If you don't like Patreon, there's always uh, Venmo, Coinbase, and uh, probably something else. Oh, uh, what is that other app I don't use? Cash App, that's it. Everybody talks about Cash App, but anytime somebody's like, hey, I want to support the podcast, but I don't want to use Patreon, 
nobody has ever said, do you have Cash App? It's just so weird because I feel like that's what all the kids are using. But maybe it's because all the kids don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. So I want to talk about something else um, as we're sort of, we've been talking about Seattle and we're talking about some other teams and everything else. And I know I, I kind of want to focus more on contenders, but I can't help but kind of trash Seattle one more time because some news came out that um, the Seattle Seahawks have signed running back Adrian Peterson, which, you know, at first glance, okay, a really bad team signed a really bad player, nothing to see here. But there's a little clip I want to play for you that I just find somewhat staggering. And maybe I'm thinking too much about it and it's just a throwaway line by a coach, but I want to play this for you. And you can probably guess why I'm stunned by what is being said. And that was official yesterday and Pete Carroll immediately faced questions. Why would you sign a 36-year-old running back? Your record is 3-8. and eight. How does this help you? And his response along these same lines of what we're discussing, what we've been discussing is... He helps us win now. That is the mode that the Seahawks are in in signing Adrian Peterson to come in and give the run game a little bit of a jolt. Obviously, they've lost Chris Carson uh, to a season-ending neck injury, and they've really struggled to run the ball a little bit. They believe Adrian Peterson helps on the field, potentially even this week. We will see. Don't know why there was a high-pitched squeal when I played that audio, but again, maybe it was just poor phrasing. But the question was posed not necessarily by Ian, but he started off his segment by saying, how does this help you? You're a three-win team. Why even bother? And then apparently Pete Carroll went on to give an explanation that does not in any way answer that particular question. In fact, he created another layer to the mystery that would require the question. Do you understand what I'm saying? He said, essentially, because we're in all-in mode. The question implies there's no way you're in all-in mode, right? Because you're, you're a three-win team. You shouldn't be focused on spending any money, bringing in anybody, unless it's an absolute requirement. And even at that point, if it's an absolute requirement to bring somebody in, like, you know, because we're thin at running back, you bring in some no-name guy on the street that costs literally nothing. Because who cares? You're a three-win team. It doesn't matter. You don't want to expend any resources on this season. And Adrian Peterson obviously is going to cost more money than just some random person that you could pick up that's probably just about as good as Adrian Peterson at this point. So assuming that this isn't about winning now because there's nothing to play for, why sign Adrian Peterson? And he says, because we're all in. I'm sorry, all in on what? The, the, the phrase that was used, and I, I may have to go to the original source because maybe Ian is not phrasing this properly, but the phrase that was used is, he helps us win now. Why do you need to win now? I mean, if, if this was, you know, August, and you said we want to win now because we feel some window is closing, which doesn't really make a lot of sense, but we'll pretend that it does. Um, okay, 
It's December. You have been officially eliminated from the playoffs. You're done. You cannot go to the playoffs. You can't. You're out of it. It's not going to happen. It's over. The only chance you have of winning anything of significance is in 2022. And you need to start contemplating, and I don't necessarily mean give up entirely on the season, but not even four cents of next year's money should be allocated to this season. You say, well, they didn't spend next year's money. Well, they did if they lose some money this year because some of the remaining cap gets rolled over, right? Don't worry about this year, dude. And this is, this is, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like everything that I said yesterday and every day about the Seahawks and Schneider and, and Pete Carroll, I guess, at this point, uh, just remains. But again, this is another example of here's a team doing what every fan wants their team to do. The, the Rams are the team that every fan wants. The Seahawks are the team that every fan wants. The Bears are the team that every fan wants. Give away all the picks. Sign all the big names. How are they doing? How are the Rams and the Seahawks and the Bears, how are they doing? Who are some other teams that signed some really big names? I guess Tampa. That would be a pretty good example, and they did pretty well. So yes, one time ever it it panned out, although they're already falling apart. They're already not the team that they were, and by next year, I'm pretty sure that this team is going to be pretty cooked. But for most fans that are all-in fans, they don't care. They claim, although I don't believe them, they claim that they would rather have 10 years of misery with one Super Bowl. Like, you know, you can go 0-17 every year and then give me a Super Bowl one year and then go back to 0-17, right? 10 years of never winning a game and then one year of a Super Bowl is worth it. It's not worth it to me, but, you know, that's if it is to you, great. Congratulations. But I just, I, I don't understand. I guess I just can't process what happened in Seattle. I mean, like with with this most recent signing. I can process kind of the bigger picture, I guess. I can't make sense of this. The only thing I can think, and I know that this happens a lot, is you've got a GM and a head coach that are in a serious death rattle that are trying to save their jobs. They're maybe hoping that if we can just keep revenue up, if we can keep excitement up, if we can keep the hype up and just take the the focus off of our record and things, um, we'll keep our jobs. That's That's pretty much all I can think. Maybe there's a, a, a hint of, you know, if he helps us win a couple games and we can kind of go on a run. Because we talked about it, right? I mean, if, if they can do well enough, they got three wins. If they beat San Francisco, that's four. Texans are five. Bears would be six. Detroit would be seven. They can get to seven wins. I don't think they're going to beat Arizona or the Rams, and I'm not sure about San Francisco, but we'll leave that alone. If they can get to seven wins, maybe that's respectable enough for them to keep their jobs. Outside of self-preservation, why would they do this? There's no reason. There is no reason. It's self-preservation. This is Schneider and Pete Carroll trying to keep their jobs. Probably knowing full well they shouldn't have had their jobs even this long. Again, I can't really speak to Pete Carroll necessarily, but Schneider for sure. And that is one of the negative aspects of the way that things are set up as far as um, GMs and head coaches actually doing the, the right thing. And you would think that that's just automatic. Of course, that's their job. They're going to do the right thing. But really, that's not what anybody does. I mean, even you, you think about a CEO. Well, a CEO's job is to make the company more profitable, to grow the company, whatever. That's really not, I mean, ultimately, that's what they do. But there are a few times that they don't. And it's because choosing to make the company more money or whatever isn't ultimately the goal. 
think Milton Friedman said it best. The world is run on individuals pursuing their own separate interests. In other words, people do what is best for them. And I think if we understand that, everything else kind of starts to make a little bit more sense. Most of the time, a GM's job is to make their team much better. But a better way of understanding what's happening is understanding what the GM is doing is whatever is best for them. Usually what's best for them is to build the best possible team to make it to a Super Bowl, etc., etc. Sometimes, though, those things don't always happen. And there's two instances where I can think that this would happen. And again, it's because they're pursuing their own separate interests, not necessarily pursuing how do I get this team to win a Super Bowl. Number one, when you first hire a guy, and I remember this with, I think it was Gruden or whatever, or no, I forget, it's a long time ago. Guy got hired and he said, listen, I'll take the job, but it's under one condition. You're going to give me X amount of years to fix this team. And the reason he said that is because a lot of owners want quick fixes. I want a quick turnaround. I want this done. And if you come in and after year one and year two, this team is still not winning, you're going to get fired. And so what, what a GM will pursue, because again, what is their own separate interest? It's the job. What they want is their job. What they want is the paycheck and the security and, and growth and, and all those things. So what's the best way to do that? The best way to do that is get a quick turnaround. Now, a quick turnaround might not give you the best long-term results in terms of winning a, a Super Bowl, but if we spend pretty much all our money and go out and get a bunch of free agents and whatnot, rather than slowly building through the draft in a bunch of guys that take two, three, four years to fully develop and, and slowly and methodically trying to find the right quarterback, which, for, for example, the Lions. The Lions elected not to go out and get a quarterback. Why? Because they're willing to do the slow build. A lot of people wouldn't. They're, they're going to go out and get the quarterback like the Bears did. We're going to go out and get the quarterback. We're going to get the flashy people. We're going to go out and try to win eight or nine games or 10 games or whatever so I can prove that I did a quick turnaround and we're, we're, we're doing this thing. And if I can just coast well enough to be able to keep my job, that's fine. Because although I'd love to win a Super Bowl, I'm more worried about doing this the proper way and losing my job because I'm not turning around quick enough. That is an instance in which the GM's interest in pursuing their own separate interests, which presumably is just making money off this job, and the team winning a Super Bowl are not necessarily aligned. The second is this instance, where same thing with the Bears and Seattle and all these teams that are at the, the tail end, and you're, you're at a point where the team needs to tear down and rebuild. You'll see GMs do this all the time. What they need to do is start reallocating their resources. They need to start reconsidering some of the more older and expensive pieces, getting rid of them so they can accumulate resources. We can have more salary cap space. We can have more draft picks and we can use those to build the future and kind of tear down the past and a little bit of the present so that we can build up into the future. Obviously, GMs and head coaches don't want that because if you're going in a new direction, that means I don't get to keep my job. So instead of having that vision, Schneider should have that vision. He should be able to look at this and say, now is not when we're going to win. The future is when we're going to win. So we're going to get rid of all these pieces. Not that they have very many valuable pieces as it is, but we're going to get rid of these, these pieces, especially any pieces that are very expensive because they're weighing down our salary cap and we need salary cap space. So we're going to tear down. We're actually going to go backwards a little bit and then we're going to rebuild. The problem is he knows if they go that route, it's probably going to be without him. And so he's not going to allow the team to go in the wrong direction or excuse me, the right direction, but a, a negative win direction. Because although his job technically is to help the Seahawks to, to win a Super Bowl and to, to build a roster and all that kind of stuff, that's not his ultimate aim. His ultimate aim is his own preservation. That's everybody's aim. That's your aim. 
That's not to say you don't do a good job because generally you keep your job. If you do a good job, you get a raise. Maybe if you get raises, then it's because you did a good job. So usually those two things align. But if they didn't, you wouldn't. I mean, there might be a moral conflict or whatever where you're, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing even if it means losing my job. And congratulations if you have that moral compass. That's great. But again, just understanding that the goal is self-preservation will help us to all understand things a little bit better. And that's the same with players, coaches, GMs, etc., etc. Usually, my interests and the team interests align. If they don't, you can always assume the person is going to pursue what is best for them, as they should. And at this point, it's not on Schneider anymore. It hasn't been on Schneider in many years. It is the ownership. Same with the Bears. It is not the, uh, it, it's not Ryan Pace's fault that he's trying to, to build a winning team now as opposed to the future. It's not. He was paid to, to win now, right? And, and th- this is his attempt. He's under no obligation to go to the ownership and say, listen, I failed and you need to tear down and rebuild and I'd love to be a part of it, uh, a part of that rebuild, but I understand if you don't. He has no obligation to do that. Yeah, I did not. Know, I mentioned this yesterday. I didn't know Pete Carroll is not just a head coach. He's vice president of football operations. In other words, it's very likely that this move for Adrian Peterson was a Pete Carroll move. But however Seattle is structured right now, and I'm not sure how all that works, but it, whoever has the ability to move in a new direction needs to. Same with the Chicago Bears. You put this train in motion, and the train is off the tracks. It's on you. It's not on Ryan Pace. It's not on John Schneider. It's not on these guys to fall on their own sword. You need to man up, woman up, in the case of any female ownership, and make a move. Make a move. And if you can't, then your team's just going to keep going down this path. And Seattle should have made a move five years ago. Chicago should have made a move, I don't know, what, two, three years ago at least, when it became clear that Trubisky wasn't working and nobody around Trubisky was getting better, the team continued. I mean, 2018 was a peak. 2019, you give him a pass, I guess. So eh, maybe last year, you whatever. Maybe, maybe you're holding on hope for one more year. And then, then this year, you know, but again, here's my issue. You gave them the keys to the rebuild. And it seems as though they failed again. So what, you're going to do a third rebuild or a second rebuild in two years? I don't know. It's not my problem. Perspective, be glad you're a Packers fan. Be glad that we have a uh, GM and a head coach that are good football players. But also understand that if it ever comes to a point where Brian Gutekunst starts to fall off, which happens to everybody, he's doing a great job right now, there's going to come a time when he's just kind of lost his head. When that time comes, it is incumbent on Mark Murphy or whoever else is in charge at that point to step in and say this isn't working, and we need to move in a new direction. As much as people seem to not like Mark Murphy having a lot of power, that's what we need. We need somebody who is kind of on the outside looking in, who's observing things and saying, this isn't working. That's what he did with uh, Mike McCarthy and Ted Thompson and those guys. He it, it took maybe a little bit too long, but he eventually turned around and looked at the situation and said, this is not working, and we need to move in a new direction, and everything is all better. And so ultimately, all these little rifts and all these little issues, they kind of work to our advantage because it comes down to inefficiency. The Packers being a team that does draft well and does have a good head coach and does have a good structure and is building a a young team for the future. And I know it kind of complicates things with the Aaron Rodgers thing, but, you know, kudos to Brian Gutekunst, even if it was the wrong decision to potentially think about the future. The fact that he's not just riding this Aaron Rodgers thing as his ticket to ride with no plan B is a good thing. He's at least willing to tear down and rebuild and, and do this thing the right way. 
Fortunately, Aaron Rodgers rebounded. He got his MVP season. He's having another good year. Hopefully, he can do this for another five years, and we just continue doing this thing. But yeah, I, I just every every couple weeks or so, I, I get astonished all over again at how incompetent the NFL is, and and I do think that that's a big part of it. I've had people that are you know live in the Cincinnati area or that are Bengals fans or whatever talk to me and you know tell me that essentially they're all just okay with mediocre seasons as long as they get butts in the seats, it's fine. And again. It's about individuals pursuing their own separate interests. That's what this is all about. If the owner's interest is making just enough money to keep this thing afloat and just keep the revenue stream coming in, and that's what they, that, and that's what they want, that's what they're going to do. We can't just always assume that the end goal and the, their, their number one interest is to build a, a dynasty. I don't necessarily know why that wouldn't be the case. But just remember, we don't start from the standpoint of assuming everybody just wants championships. We start from the standpoint of individuals pursuing their own separate interests. What are their interests? What do they want? John Schneider and and Pete Carroll want to keep their job. That's why they made this move. That's why he would even go to the podium and say it helps us win now as much as we would sit here and look at this and go, yeah, I know, but that that's that's kind of my question though. <laughs> that's that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to us because our frame of view and the Seahawks fans frame of view is how do we fix this team for the future? So Pete Carroll didn't even answer the question. It's like, what are you talking about? But he did answer the question. We're just not viewing it through his lens. Why would you want to win now? He's looking at us like, why would I not want to win now? Of course I want to win. Of course, what are you talking about? I don't want to get fired. You know what happens if we end the season with three wins? I'm screwed. I'm out of here. They're booting me. I can't go. I can't end the season with three wins. Now, he's not going to say that out loud, but that's that's his frame of mind. It's so painfully obvious. He's living this every day, not from a standpoint of, oh, shoot, I'm a Seahawks fan and they're not great. It's, I'm going to lose my job. If I don't start getting some wins, they're going to fire me. And so in a way, the, the key to running a good football team is making sure that you structure things in such a way that the player's biggest incentive, the best thing for them is to win. The head coach's biggest incentive is to win. The GM's biggest, biggest incentive is to build a team that wins. Not just this year, but forever. And the Packers have always been made fun of for that. Oh, they, they only care about the future. It's critically important that you don't hyper-focus on this year. It's what dying teams do. I'm not saying you abandon this year for next year every year because then you never win. That's not the point. Focus on tomorrow and let yesterday worry about today. Think about it. We're going to end it with that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.